Good morning, everyone. Uh, Adam's away on vacation this week, but in his absence, he's invited Pastor Larry Humbert to come speak today. Larry has some deep roots in our fellowship. Some of you may know that name. He served at Hagerstown Grace Church as youth pastor for 11 years, led Lehigh Valley Grace as senior pastor for 30 years, now retired, sort of. For the last two years, he served as part-time pastor of training at Lehigh Valley, serves as pulpit supply for other Karis churches, and as shepherding pastor for NAF pastors. In turn, he's also one of uh, Adam's mentors for us. So please join me in welcoming Larry today. I am so totally blessed to be here with you all today. Now, some of you younger, at first I thought I didn't know any younger person, because I'm an old guy. And I came and I saw a couple of people I knew I would know, and then I saw more people that I knew. And some of you guys that were at the men's retreat two years ago might remember I had the privilege to spend the weekend with you. But I looked around, now some of you young people won't think this, but I know you. I've seen many of you in different settings around the district. Maybe you've been to Camp Conquest, and I still love going down there and making a difference. You know, your own Mary Jo Franks uh, played a big role in my life at Camp Conquest when I was a young teenager. And I just love going back and trying to reinvest in young people from there. But it's a great privilege to be here with you today. Uh, Adam asked me if I would come and share with you this morning, kicking off a new series. Wow. And what a series it's going to be for you this summer. Uh, but it's been a privilege working with Adam uh, they kind of asked me to come alongside him and encourage him in some ways as he gets plugged into ministry and leading you all. And I, I'll tell you what, I found that very difficult. <laughs> difficult because if I try to teach him something, he already knew it. If I tried to show him how to do certain things, he'd already figured it out. If I tried to correct his course, I found out he had already been listening to others and doing some correcting. Now, I don't want to build Adam up to make him sound like the, you know, knows it all and, and end all because he's still a young man. And maybe you have crossed paths with him the wrong way at some point. I doubt it. But if you have, let me encourage you with this. I remember when I went to Lehigh Valley many years ago, as a 38-year-old young pastor, and they were amazingly gracious in helping me to learn and grow as I had the privilege of leading them. And if you do that with Adam, I know God is going to take Penn Valley Church and all of your history and all that's been in the past and write a new chapter that's going to be even greater and more amazing than ever. You're here at a good place. If you're fairly new to Penn Valley, get locked in, get to know people. Some of these people have been around a long time. They've learned a lot. They love Jesus with all their heart, and they're worth hanging out with. Thanks for being here today. And let's ask God to bless our time as we take a look at this new topic for the summer that's gonna be more exciting than the word itself sounds. God, what a privilege to be here. 
And you have brought us together to learn your word, to follow your path, and to find your truth. Help us to do so today. Speak to our hearts through your word of truth. You said your word is truth, and real truth brings freedom. We ask that you will show that to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So... The topic, I have sinned. Exciting, isn't it? Oh, when Adam called me and said, would you preach on this? I'm like, well, I'm, I'm kind of an expert at it, so yeah, maybe I could. <laughs> but actually, what sounds like really super bad news is actually amazingly good news. We're going to find out why sin is so, I won't say awesome, but important. Understanding, uh, you know, we are looking for answers in life. We are looking for ways to make the most of life. And we keep getting stuck. Things keep happening that water down our fulfillment, that mess up our plans. It might be some bully in class. It might be some tragedy that, that hits us right away. It might be just doubts and fears, and, and we kind of could lose our way. And these things come about as a result of this reality called sin. Sin gets in the way of what we want to do. Sin makes it not possible for us to see things the way we want to see. Now, those young people who have never worn spectacles, uh, did you ever pick up somebody else's glasses and look through them? And you go, what? This helps you? This is... You know, and of course, you who wear spectacles remember what it was like when you could actually see. Now you just kind of look like a blur to me out there. Um, the right spectacles help us see more clearly, and the wrong spectacles mess everything up. That's what sin does. It messes everything up. It causes our vision to be out of focus. And we need our vision corrected. And there's a lot of different ways that people go about trying to correct their vision. But we're going to talk about the biblical ways to see life clearly. And even in the... It doesn't make bad things go away, and it doesn't make sin go away, but there are answers to sin that can make a whole big difference. But I thought it would be good for us to, at least at the very beginning, take a look at what is sin. Uh, I need a volunteer, somebody that's in third, fourth, fifth grade that would be willing to come up and be in front of everybody else. Anybody willing to do that, young man or woman? None of them are here. You're young enough. You're young enough. All right, you're past sixth grade, but uh, you can come up here. All right, 
What's your name? Libby. Libby? Libby, and what grade are you actually in? Six. Six, all right, you still qualify. All right, come here and stand right here. You're gonna teach us how to sin. <laughs> you already know how to sin, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to take this, Libby, and I'd like you to toss it and make it land right on that paper over there. Don't miss. All right, can you do that? <laughs> you just sinned. Go pick that up. All right, let's move a little closer. Okay, now, don't sin. That sin was worse than the first sin. What do you think you're doing? Get a little bit closer. Okay. Ah, yay, she didn't sin. Thank you, ma'am. You may go back to your seat now that you've stopped sinning. <laughs> when you look in the Bible, it's all over the place. Bible talks about sin a lot. But what is sin? In its most literal sense, now I was going to bring a bow and arrow and a big target and all the rest of that, for, but I thought maybe that wouldn't be the best uh, type of illustration, but basically the definition of sin is missing the mark. Missing the mark. We're going to talk about that mark in just a little bit, but we're going to be going through a lot of different verses. Now, I'm not the type that puts verses up on the screen. If you want to follow it in your Bible, you're going to have to get a Bible out of the pew or hope you brought yours with you. And we're going to turn to a lot of different places, and I'll help you find it. The first one we're going to go to is in the Old Testament, the very first book of the Bible in Genesis. That's not hard to find. So if you would look there, and I hope you will take a Bible and look at it. And if you have your own Bible, I encourage you that if any of these verses hit you, go ahead and mark them. Uh, you know, some people use Bible markers. Some people, I, I like to use pens uh, because it makes it kind of a permanent mark, but it doesn't mess everything up, although I've highlighted things too. But in Genesis chapter 4, we take a look at sin, and this is in the encounter between God and Cain. Cain and Abel were doing their different offerings, and uh, God accepted Abel's offering, but didn't accept Cain's offering, and Cain got a bit, little bit jealous, a little bit angry, a little bit put off. And God comes to Cain in chapter 4 of Genesis and verse 6, and he says, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will not you be accepted? If you do not well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Now that idea of its desire actually means sin wants to control you. Now we've all had that experience in our life, haven't we? Where 
we've wanted to do things differently, but something, anger, jealousy, temptation, lust, whatever, just takes over and pulls us down its path to sin. Well, that word in the Old Testament means exactly that, missing the mark. Cain, aim straight, hit the mark. But if you miss the mark, you're going to struggle. And we find ourselves struggling very much, very often because of that. The New Testament, it's really the same thing. Romans, if you want to find Romans in your Bible, uh, if you're new to the Bible, there's the Old Testament and the New Testament. The New Testament is only the last third of the Bible, so you've got to turn past halfway. Uh, but you get Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, then Romans. In Romans chapter 3, and some of you already have this verse memorized, and if you don't, this is a great one to memorize. It really fits into the exciting fun that we're talking about today of sin, because Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have missed the mark. Now, you know what I find? I find that humanity is finding all kinds of ways to deal with sin. Humanity has redefined sin so that wrong doesn't really feel wrong. You know, if I redefined sin, I didn't really steal that, I just borrowed it. <laughs> we can redefine something. Well, I took that, but it really was mine in the first place. So it really isn't wrong. When we redefine sin, that we do that to try and make ourselves feel better. We also love to rationalize sin. I mean, even Romans 3.23. Well, everybody sins. Like that's an excuse to keep sinning. Well, everybody does wrong, so it's okay for me to do wrong. None of you parents have that attitude about your child, right? Oh, they're just a child. They do wrong. We'll just let them go. No, you don't, you don't do that. We don't want to rationalize. We don't want to redefine. We need to understand that missing the mark is serious business. And in our culture, very much the whole culture has tried to very much redefine, and sadly, they make right wrong and wrong right so that they can feel better for, for themselves. Now, I'm not going to get into particulars today because some of you have maybe stumbled in some of those particulars, and it's not my desire to cause anyone to feel bad other than the reality that we all sin. It's my desire that we understand that there is an answer, but don't take the world's answer. 
If you paint sin a different color, that doesn't change the fact that it's sin. If you rationalize sin that everybody else is doing it, so I'll join the crowd, that doesn't fix the problem. If you run away from it and deny it, you're only burying the reality that you're walking around in great need of glasses and you're out of focus and you're missing what God really wants. The good news is there is an answer to sin. We've talked about several wrong answers, and there's one additional wrong answer that I want to just take a moment on before we talk about the good news, the right answers. And the other news is, the other bad news is, if I just try harder, if I just do more, you know, there's a lot of people that think that's going to be their way to heaven. Everybody wants to go to heaven, right? Heaven is this beautiful place. Heaven, hey, there is no more sin in heaven. I want to go there. There's a problem. The moment I show up, I'm going to contaminate the place because of my own sin. I can't just work harder. I can't just do more. There are so many people that say, if I just do more righteous things, if I just do more good things, if I just do more that pleases God, that'll be okay. The problem is it doesn't wipe out what you've done wrong. Before we jump to the answer real quick, I want to take one more slide and take a look at this. Child Evangelism Fellowship has this cool definition of sin that I love. I think it's very realistic. It's anything that you think, say, or do that is displeasing to God. Wow. That pretty much covers it all, doesn't it? It's not just what you do, it's what you think. And it's what you say. Well, the bad news is sin is all around us. Sin is in the world. Sin is stopping you from being truly free. Let me, let me throw this out at you. Many people think that they don't need God. They don't need religion. They want to be free. They want to call their own shots. That's a delusion. And if you're here today, and I don't know why you're here, if you're like, I don't believe in God, I don't believe in religion, but maybe somebody forced you or whatever, or you're like, well, I'll, at least I'll listen and consider. Let me say that if you want to reject God and you want to reject truth, you are under the greatest of delusion. The good news is that there is a genuine remedy for sin. And if we take a look at that genuine remedy, all of a sudden, our life starts to become free. Our vision starts to become clear. And life 
starts to explode with joy and purpose and excitement. And so if you're here today and you're kind of stuck, let me suggest there's a remedy, a genuine remedy that makes all the difference in the world. We're going to talk about two words, two concepts. It's called confession. No, we're not talking about, okay, we're going to set up a confessional booth in the past and every, in the back, and so everybody's going to come walking through and, and do their confession in the booth kind of thing. But the concept is a biblical and correct concept. Again, the Old Testament Hebrew word and the New Testament Greek word really come out to mean the same thing. Confession means to agree with God. Now, why is that important? Well, a little while ago, we talked about rationalizing our sin. God does not rationalize sin. God calls sin wrong. God calls sin deadly. God says sin is what we need to run away from. And if we're confessing, we are agreeing. And this is a hard step. Agree that what I'm doing is wrong. Now, for just the first moment, that's going to make you feel horrible. What? I have to agree with God that what I'm thinking is wrong, the way I'm behaving is wrong, what I've said is wrong. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd like you to turn to, um, well, let's turn to, to 1 John 1.9. Again, it's a very familiar passage. 1 John is way back, the easiest way to find it is go to Revelation and then back up a couple of books. Very short books, only a page in your Bible, to 1 John and in 1 John, here's another verse that is absolutely worth circling, marking, if you don't already have it marked in your Bible. 1 John 1, 9, 1, 8 and 9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. John makes it very clear. He agrees with Paul. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And if we sit here and we say, well, I haven't sinned, I haven't done wrong, and you've redefined what God calls wrong, then you are deceived and you're stuck. But verse 9 says, if you confess your sin, he is faithful, righteous, and he will forgive you of your sin. Oh, come on. That's too simple. And what's that going to accomplish? Oh, trust me. Have you ever done wrong to somebody else? And you felt really bad. And you went to them and you said, I'm sorry. And you were sure that that was going to end the relationship. That they were going to say, be gone. I don't want anything to do with you. I will never 
And, and isn't that one of the hardest things to hear out of somebody else's mouth? I will never forgive you. But what is it like when you confess to someone, yes, I did wrong. I agree with you that what I did was wrong. And they turn to you and they say, okay, you did wrong. I forgive you. Is that powerful or what? That is one of the most amazing things. And some of you have learned how to forgive others. Now, that's even harder. <laughs> it's hard enough to go to somebody and say, I'm wrong, and have them forgive you. But it's even harder to be the one that somebody comes to you and says, I have done you wrong, and you stand there and you have to go, I forgive you. There's a book that was written by that title uh, that is really an amazing book, The Freedom of Forgiveness. Learning to forgive is even more powerful than being forgiven. But confession is necessary. I know many people that are really caught in that somebody has really harmed them and they're living under this, I, 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 I just can't forgive them and, and besides they, they'll, they have too much pride, they will never, they'll never ask for forgiveness. Confession is a hard step. But can I promise you something? If you learn to confess, and probably 90% of us in the room today have somebody, something that we need to confess, agree with God, agree with that other person that what we did was wrong. And can I invite you to resist the urge to rationalize, hide away from it, or try and say it really wasn't wrong. Just confess. If we confess. It does sound too good to be true, but it's based on something that I'm going to end the service with in just a little bit. God does forgive you the moment that you confess to him, that you agree with him that what you did was wrong. Now, there's one more step that, that really helps is not just confessing. Confessing is, it's wrong. I agree. What I did was wrong. But we're going to take a look at another word that really helps us win the battle over looking through the world, through these glazed eyes of sin, and that is to repent. Quite literally, the word repent means 
I'm on a path. I'm, I'm, I'm going this direction. This is what my, where my life is taking me. Repent means not only do I confess that this is the wrong way, but I'm going to take action to prove that what I'm doing is wrong. I'm going to turn around and go the opposite way. Repent is an action verb, which means to turn, to change, to go in a different direction, and quite literally, the opposite direction. Paul was preaching in Acts chapter 3, and if you want to turn there, you're welcome to do so. And in Acts chapter 3, Paul says in verse 17, Brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he has fulfilled. Therefore, repent and turn back that your sins may be blotted out and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, that is Jesus. Repent, turn around. You're stuck in an ugly situation. You're stuck in an, a, a battle of wills. You're stuck in a relationship conflict. You're stuck in attitudes that are wrong. The first step is to confess it. The second step is to turn and walk away from it. Do you remember when uh, in John chapter 4, Jesus has been confronted with this woman caught in adultery? And the, and the leaders come and they think they're going to trap Jesus. Uh, and they say, what do you think? Did she do wrong? Because if he says, yes, she did wrong, well, then he becomes the big judger. And if he says she didn't do wrong, well, then he's rationalizing and he's not being true to Scripture and God's truth. And so he doesn't fall into their trap. And after he looks up at them and says, okay, so, you say she's sinned. Whoever among you hasn't sinned, you condemn her. You throw stones at her. <laughs> Puts it in a different perspective. And after they all walk away, Jesus looks up at the woman and he says, I don't condemn you either. Go your way. Is that what he said? There's a little part of that phrase that's really super important. Basically, he says, I'm not here to condemn you. You did wrong. Everybody does wrong. I'm not rationalizing it. I'm not here to stone you or condemn you. Go Stop this sin. Stop sinning. Repent. Turn away 
from your lifestyle. This has been a lifestyle that you've had. Don't just confess. Turn from it and walk away. Now, these are hard concepts. If I could sit down with each one of you one-on-one face-to-face and we start talking about those personal things that I'm not even going to talk to you about my personal sins. The steps of confession, that might not be too hard. Yeah, it's wrong. Yeah, what I'm doing is wrong. What I'm thinking is wrong. How I'm acting is wrong. But it's an important step. Pride gets in the way of doing that. And guess what? Pride itself is a sin. Now you got two sins. What you're actually doing and the way you're acting about it. Mm. But if we can confess, well, that makes us vulnerable. I'm not comfortable with being vulnerable. Trust me. It's a better way out than that other way of pride, rationalization, trying to redefine sin. All of those things will simply be a dead end, will leave you in a heap. Go the other path of confessing, agreeing with God, what I'm doing is wrong. Take that next step. After confessing it, choose to go a different path. Choose to go a different way. Repent. That is really hard. You know why? Because sin feels good, doesn't it? If If sin didn't feel good, why would we do it? (laughs) If sin didn't give me a shortcut to what I always wanted, why would I do it? If sin was actually harder, if sin actually made me feel worse, well, the result is that is the truth. The evil one tries to make you think that you can stand on your own two feet, but you can't. But here's the, here's the incredible truth that when we turn, something amazing and wonderful happens. It's a gift that God wants to give you called grace. You know what's amazing? We, we sing about grace. We, we talk about grace. But grace really is amazing. For just the very end, uh, I'd like you to turn with me back to Romans. And in Romans, Paul wrestles with this. And I want you to wrestle with him on it. Here's Paul in chapter 7 of Romans. Did that which is good... Bring death to me, verse 13 of chapter 7 is where I'm at. By no means. 
It was sin-producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. Now this is Paul talking, a righteous man. And he's not afraid to say, not only are you sinners, I am too. And he says in verse 15, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. What God says is right is right. And what God says is wrong is wrong. He's confessing. So now it is no longer I who is sinning, but sin that dwells within me. Isn't that a strange phrase? I'm not sinning. It sounds like Paul's trying to weasel out of this. I'm not guilty. I'm not responsible. Sin's doing it, not me. The old, the devil made me do it kind of phrase. But think about this for a minute. Paul is speaking truth. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right. Now many of you, and now I'm talking to those of you who already call yourselves Christian. You would agree with that phrase, right? I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I don't want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Now, if we just stopped right there, we'd say, okay, we're all off the hook. It's not my fault. Sin's inside of me. Sin's doing bad things. It's not really me. Well, let's keep reading. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of the sin which dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul's all caught up in his own sin and acknowledging, okay, I agree, I confess it's wrong. But even when I try to repent, I can't repent on my own. I I try to turn, but I can't on my own power. This is the amazing thing. Listen to this. Because I know every one of you here has struggled with this reality. I want to turn. And sometimes I actually turn. But then I turn back. And what am I going to do? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord so that I I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. But he goes on. Yet there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. 
And I'm not going to read on. I just want to finish it in a simple way. You can't fix yourself. You can't will yourself to change. But what you have to do is trust Jesus. What do I mean by that? Many of you right here today have already trusted Jesus to save you. You've been told that your sin is bigger than you can bear. Give it to Jesus because he paid the penalty for your sin by dying on the cross. And that is right. And you trusted Jesus to save you. Now, trust him to free you. Do you know what I have many people tell me? I know God forgave me, but I can't forgive myself. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you have said that or at least thought that? Do you know what you're doing when you say that or think that? You are slapping God, you're slapping Jesus in the face. You are saying to him, hey, thanks for dying for me, but I don't really trust you. That's what you're saying. Jesus said, I died because I knew you couldn't defeat sin. But I want you to acknowledge that you're a sinner. And I want you to turn every day and know that you're already forgiven. That's grace. It's the difference between the person that is trying to work their way to heaven. Last illustration. Let's say you have a $100,000 debt. Every month, you have to garnish a chunk of your income to try and pay off that $100,000 debt. Now, there's only maybe a small handful in this room that could get that done in a short period of time. Most of you would probably be in debt the rest of your life. But every month, you grudgingly make that payment. That is what it's like to be a Christian that's trying to get out of their lifestyle by doing more good but I haven't forgiven myself. Jesus said, you're already forgiven. Live in your freedom. So somebody comes along and pays off that $100,000 debt. First of all, <laughs> you'd be pretty excited. Second of all, every month now, you're free to help others, to love on others, to write checks to others to fix their needs because now you have freedom to do that. Before, you had to pay off your debt. You no longer have that debt to pay off, so now you can invest on in others. And here's the good news that we get to do good works, not to earn God's approval, but to thank him for already approving us and forgiving us, and living in that freedom. And it totally changes our concept and our attitudes. 
the joy of confession and repentance bound up in grace, living in grace, is, I know, I, I struggle just like you. It's hard to forgive myself, especially when after turning away, I go back and wallow in sin again. But what it does is it, it forces me to truly trust Jesus every day for everything. And to go back and say, thank you, you've forgiven me. I forgive myself. You know, before I left to come down here this morning, I said, I don't have the right to preach this message. <laughs> I'm probably, like Paul, the biggest sinner in the room. I should know better. I've been a pastor for how many years? I shouldn't mess up anymore. I still do. But the reason I can preach it to you is because I have chosen to confess, to repent daily, but not to trust in my repentance, but to trust in Jesus for forgiving me and making me free so that I come, can come and declare not me, but him. And he has revolutionized my life. And he has given me freedom more than anybody. And, and my motivation for doing good is not trying to earn his approval. It's just the joy of living out that he's already forgiven me. If that's what you want, if you're a Christian, it's time to start trusting Jesus. Confess, repent, and forgive yourself. And trust because he already has. And if you're here today and you've done the religion thing and you've been searching and you're still not sure, the good news is you don't have to do it. You don't get to do it. You need to simply trust him. Trust Jesus. Because he did what you're not capable of doing. You can't pay for your own sin. He already did. And you can say, yes, I've sinned. I don't want to continue in it. I want to trust you, Jesus. And he will start to show you forgiveness and freedom and joy like you've never experienced. Let's pray. Father, we human beings are so lost in our frail humanity. And we have all fallen short of your glory. And we do not deserve heaven or forgiveness or anything else. But Jesus, you loved us so much that you died for us so that if we'll trust you, you'll forgive us 
and lead us into a life of freedom and joy and a whole different motive of living. And while none of us deserve it, you yearn for us to walk in it because it's your gift of grace to us. If there's anyone here this morning that has not stepped into your grace, Holy Spirit, will you guide them into that experience of reality? Will you take them to that place that trusting Jesus will change their life and their eternity? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And if you made any kind of decision about that, would you see Pastor Adam when he gets back or an elder and let them know because they want to encourage you in your walk and joy in the freedom of Jesus.